The title of the message this morning is The Fine Art of Pruning. Some of you are gardeners. Some of you instantly will connect with that and know what that means. Some of us don't, but that's okay. Uh, But it's actually based off a message I did several years ago. Uh, I think it was about 10 years ago uh, when we went through a big transition here. And uh, I think this morning's update of this message will be very helpful for all of us. If I had another title that I was going to attach to it, it would be Back to the Future, all right? And those of you who know that, that movie, it's kind of fun. So setting the context for the message, uh, both the setting and the context for this message, comes from our history here at Northview, what we've gone through. And of course, then that very famous passage out of John 15, and it reads like this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. This verse describes God as the ultimate vine dresser. The vine dresser prunes the vine so they are productive and bear as much fruit as possible. This text and analogy are deeply rooted in our history as a church here. And I thought for today that taking a look back might help us take a look forward. So let's pray and then we'll walk through this together, all right? Would you join me? Father in heaven, there are significant moments in a person's life and a church's life uh, when there's just this sense of you're going to move. And Lord, we seek you for that this morning. We pray that all the things that we have put in place uh, will bear fruit and we we are looking for this But God series in James taking the mantle and, and, and going into the next chapter and the next era and the next journey. And Lord, so as we do that, we'll look back this morning with a chance to look forward. May your grace be upon us. And we ask that in your name. Amen. All right. Okay, so if you're here this morning and you haven't heard, this is my last Sunday as the pastor of Northview Community Church. Woohoo! Yes. All right. About time, huh? Uh, I just have to say it's truly been a joy and an honor, and you just need to know that. But here's the question, all right? I'm speaking to the skeptics out there. There's a few of us, all right? So everybody's going, yeah, it looks good, nice window dressing. What's the real deal? Where, where, where are we really? And the question is, uh, are we going to be okay as a church? Will we make it? And I want to suggest that the answer is in our history that it's already been played out. Actually, it's God's history, not our history, and his reliability and faithfulness with us as a body of believers. Uh, God does the same things. Uh, if you read scripture, he does the same thing with Israel in his dialogues with them, right? What does, he, what does he say? Do you remember how I led you in the wilderness? Right, and he's taking them back to a time when they were going through some tough things, he said, do you remember how I was with you? you remember how that all walked? And then God uh, also uses uh, the analogy of pruning. Uh, pruning of the vine, why? So that it can actually be more productive. Uh, this has happened in our church in the past. Those of you who have been here the whole time will remember the events and you're going to nod and smile. Those of you who are newer, it's actually a really valuable lesson on how God has worked in and through Norfew in the past and how we expect him to work through Norfew in the future. So here's some lessons from the orchard this morning, all right? Uh, so here's picture number one. And you can see that is an apple tree uh, that is kind of 
gotten let go. And uh, the lesson number one is that what this picture tells us is that left to themselves, apple trees don't do so well. They will grow wild and unproductive, and in the end, they tend to produce more leaves and less and less fruit. And that also tends to be a pattern with churches, by the way. Here's picture number two. Here we have a pruned apple tree. Lesson number two, pruning is not fun, either for the pruner or the tree. It's a lot of hard work, and it looks awful when it's finally done, kind of like a bad haircut day, right? Kind of deal. Okay, here's picture number three. Yeah, oh wow. The goal of the gardener and the tree is not to produce leaves. It's to produce fruit. And so God prunes. And the very act of pruning allows the fruit to grow. Now there's biblical analogies and evidence for this as well. I'm going to pull out of Judges this morning. Most of you are familiar with or know the story of Gideon and, and that whole story. In Gideon uh, chapter, or I'm sorry, in Judges chapter 7, God is talking to Gideon and he says this, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. All right, now we have to set this in context a little bit. All right, the Midianites were a massive force. They came to the land. Estimates are they're anywhere from 120 to 150,000 of them. All right? So you're starting with 32. And Gideon tells them, hey, if anybody's kind of not feeling really up on this deal and you're a little nervous and scared, you can go home. And in this passage, 22,000 of them book. Right? Home sounds good. We're gone. Right? And so they, they book. And, you know... Needless to say, God thought it was a concern because uh, I, I think it's kind of, the idea of Israel boasting in their own strength is kind of ridiculous, right? Oh, we're going to take them. Like, no, you're going to get smoked, even with, if they were all there. So now you take 22,000 out, you got 10,000 out. So it's 10,000 against 150,000. Just factor those numbers in for a second. Obviously, God was still concerned, and so he prunes the troops further. So look at what happens in this passage. The Lord says to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for, I'll test them for you there. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, he shall set by himself. And likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. So now God is going to sort uh, by the way the army drank water. And we, we probably don't get this, all right? So I'm going to just demonstrate to you. But God said there's going to be two, two types of people. The first type of person is going to get down on their hands and knees like this, and they're going to drink water like that. The other person is going to be like this. They're going to cup and they're going to lap like this. He says, so I want you to separate out those who drink from those who lap. Uh, most scholars tend to think that the reason he took the ones that lap with their hand is they were still holding on their equipment. 
The ones who didn't laid it down. And so in other words, their desire for thirst and water made them lax in terms of duty. And so only 300 out of the 10, so 9,700, gone. Okay, so you go from 32,000 to three, you now have 300 guys against 150,000. Stack that up once, right? It's, it's just a crazy thing. So look, look at slide seven that says, so the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, were 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water, and the Lord said to Gideon, with 300 men I will lap, that who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all, the others, let all the others go, every man to his home. And so the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. All right? And I, we, we all know that story. But can you imagine being one of the 300? Now, how confident are you going to be at that point? <laughs> Charge. Right? Watching also those others take off for home. Dirty. Right? How come they get to go home and I don't get to go? You ever been envious of what God let somebody else do and didn't let you do? Right? How can you call them, not me? Right? And then you're looking at it facing an army that's 50 times more powerful than you. Right? So 50 to 1. Crazy. What was their attitude? Wow! We've got nothing left. What was God's attitude? Wow! Now I can really do something. Right? And we have to keep that perspective in mind. Uh, we've seen a lot of change in the last two years. In the last two years, we've seen 40 families, 41 with Mitsuo Mitsi, right, take off and leave for other parts of the country, or in this case, other parts of the world, where God has called them to. And that can be seen as a, a pretty severe pruning, right? We can be like the men in the Gideon story going, wow, we've got nothing left. But God has actually got the attitude, wow, I can now really do something. And we've seen, um, we've been through a lot of pruning. And we could have that same attitude. Wow, nobody's left. But God is saying, wow, I can really do something. Actually, we've been through several prunings uh, in our church's history. And I want to just walk you back through them so that we can uh, see how God has worked and see his faithfulness through the whole process. So here's pruning number one, January 2007, all right? So go back, that goes back a day or two, 2007. Uh, it was the first of the year, it was January, and I remember this very clearly, and we had three key core components of our leadership go out the door. First was Jen and Scott Ross left our staff to plant a church in Redmond, Oregon. Many of you would remember that. And then Barry and Robin Landis moved to Colorado. Garrett, uh, Barry was our senior high youth leader at the time. And then Carlin Hillerstrom, uh, par, our woman's gal leader in youth group par excellence. I mean, just fabulous. So for a little church to have someone like her was great. She went and got married, moved to Bellingham. Lame. I told her that. She did it anyways, right? They're great friends. But that was, that was a huge loss. We were tiny at the time. We, were, we had barely just started to snorkel above the waterline ourselves. What happened as a result of this pruning? Well, 
God brought us Wilson McSwain for junior high, Tim Caressel as our senior high leader, right? You guys track him back down memory lane here. And then Andrew Southwick as our worship leader. In other words, God reloaded. Then came pruning number two. Okay, pruning number two. Wilson left and went back to school. Actually, went back to Mary Lauren, which was a very wise idea. Tim left with Lindsay to go to the East Coast. And then Andrew left to plant a church in Florida. And how this one pulled off was really fascinating because if they would have done it, all three would have shown up in my office within the same hour. And how it played out is Wilson came in and said, hey, I've got to talk to you. I've got something really important. So yeah, come on in. So he starts telling me, hey, I, I, I need to go back to school. And I said, okay. And while Wilson's talking, I'm looking, you know, those little windows in our office, right? I see Andrew going back and forth like Mr. Grumpy Bear, like, you know. And I thought, what's his problem? And I'm looking, and so Wilson gets out. Andrew comes in. Andrew is oblivious to what Wilson said. He thought Wilson was talking about some junior high thing. Couldn't figure out why he took so long. And so Wilson goes out. Andrew comes in. Wilson goes around the corner to the youth office and talks to Tim. Andrew tells me, hey, I've got to plan a church. So I'm sitting there within five minutes. Two guys have told me they're leaving, right? Unbeknownst to me, Andrew, and Wilson is that the week before, Lord, the Lord had spoken to Tim that he needed to go. And so Wilson goes in and tells Tim what he just told me. Tim turns white as a sheet, goes to the bathroom and starts crying. So Tim comes, about a week later, I come in and Tim goes, what is wrong with you? And he starts bawling and I go, whoa, man. He says, we, we got to leave. And, you know, so three key guys, poof, out, out in the wilderness, right? So, <clears throat> again, quite a pruning. If you remember back in that era, again, we weren't that big, and that was, that was well over 50% of our staff walked out the door in five minutes, right? Now, it, it all seems like, you know, oh, sure, God was, but at the time, it was stunning, Right? What was the result of that pruning? Well, Wilson came back with Lauren. Right? That was good. Uh, Brooks August came as our senior high director. And then Zach Kark became our worship director. Right? Now, pruning number three at Norfew, 214 to 217. Okay? Wilson left for Pennsylvania. Right? Those of us remember, we were there. Zach left a little, a year and a half later, Zach left for a worship role in Yakima. And then Brooks left for the worship role at North Shore, the mother church of our church, and went back and took, took that role. And then I would add this one, uh, and then John Hayes. Right? So grateful for John and the year he gave us. Uh, boy, he, he spanned a bridge that we'd have been really in trouble with without him. But he realized he wasn't ready for full time, and so he took a career with Starbucks, and then he left and, and moved to Olympia. Okay, That's where they, where they are currently right now. So again, huge transition. Well, what was the result of this pruning? Well, God brought a certain dude named Rob Henry on staff. Actually, Rob came to Norfew as a friend of Brooks. He was just tagging along and showed up here. And he came back the next week and people remembered his name, so he decided he'd stay. All right, that's how that one worked. But so Rob came uh, and he became our junior high director and then became the children's director for a year and, and then became uh, our senior high director. And at the same time, he brought Zeb Fenimore 
on staff as our junior high director, and then brought Esther and the Marston clan to us uh, as our worship director. And we might add this other little one. He brought this person named Kayla Murphy as the children's director. All right, I'm a little biased on that one. That was good. So in a sense, this present transition that we're going through right now, with me ending and baton pass off to James, is, is just another pruning uh, but it's also kind of a back to the future kind of event. In other words, we've been here before. This is our fourth time around. Okay? What do you mean the fourth time around? Well, here's our fourth pruning. All right? uh, I'm retiring. Okay? Last Sunday in the pulpit. All right? that's, that's both a good thing and a bad thing. All right? Kayla's stepping down. Right? I actually preempted her because that was in the works for a while. And then I decided to step down early with Pam and I. And, and so she goes, Dad, you just you know, you, I told her you were welcome. And, uh, but what's the result of this pruning? Well, James is here with his family. He's, a, he's fit in, he's enmeshed, he's got it, he's ready to go, and he's ready to step into the leadership role, and we're, we're in great shape. And then there's this person named Abby Mitchells who's going to step in for Sister Kayla Murphy, and that should be a one-two punch right there because you know if we get Abby we'll still get Kayla so that that's a cool thing that's how it rolls okay point do you see a pattern here can you see the pattern can you see God's hand of faithfulness yes those are hard yes they were difficult but each and every time God brought us through and it was better and it was good God reloads and it's meant for our good Okay, so let's ask a question. Why does God prune? It's a great question. Why does God prune? Well, he prunes for his kingdom and for his glory. Have you noticed he doesn't ask us permission? Right? Yeah, some of you have been through pruning moves like this as well. It hasn't been with a church, but you've moved, you've relocated, you wound up here. You're like, how did we wind up at Northview? Well, you were part of a pruning process, right? Jesus says this, this is for my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. One of my hopes and dreams, Pam and I together, is that this is going to be a great season for us. That actually we'll be more fruitful after I step down than we were when I was in the pulpit. Looking forward to what God's going to do with that. That's kind of a cool, cool thing. He prunes, but here's the key thing. God prunes because he believes there's a future. Remember that picture of that apple tree? If you didn't think there was a future and you didn't think there was anything worth hoping for, you'd never prune that tree. Why do you prune? You prune because you believe there's going to be a future and you believe there's going to be a harvest. Right? And so God prunes because he believes in the future. Okay? You don't prune if you don't believe there'll ever be any fruit. If you think all that work was for nothing and there's never going to be any apples, you're not going to prune. Right? God can see things that we can't see, and he believes there's going to be fruit. So what's the, the takeaways from this morning? Okay, here's some takeaways. First of all, pruning is not that unusual. I imagine a number of circumstances have popped into your head as I'm talking. Nobody drives through Leavenworth and Wenatchee area in spring, like right now, and goes, oh my goodness, can you believe what they're doing to those poor trees? They're hacking all those branches. Oh, this is terrible. We got to call the cops. You know, No, right? Nobody does that. Why? Well, it, what would be shocking is if they weren't pruning the trees, 
right? That would be the weird thing. It's expected every year when you drive through Leavenworth and Wenatchee, you're going to see workers out there pruning those apple trees and making them ready for the summer fruit. Number two, notice that it's God who determines the timing and the severity of the pruning. Okay? He knows what he's doing. God knows what's best for the trees or the vine. The trees don't have a say and can't argue back. We're noisy trees sometimes, aren't we? God has the absolute best in mind when he takes a group of people through a pruning process. And here's the key. We have to be smart enough to trust him with it and smart enough to follow him through it. Right? We got to stop arguing with him and say, you know what, not, instead of why are you doing all this, and the why question you never get an answer for anyways, right? If, if you ask God, why did this happen, what do you usually get? Right? But if you ask what and how, as a result of this, what do you want me to do and how do you want me to do it? What's the spirit of how I'm supposed to operate? You'll get all kinds of answers, right? And that is what we have to do is we have to trust him through the process. What is Northview going to look like next week? We have no idea. Who cares? God's in it. It's going to work. James is going to do great. It's going to be fantastic. Will it be always the same? No. Is it going to do different things? Yep. Is God going to bear fruit? Yes. It's going to be a fantastic deal. So we have to be smart enough to trust him with it and go through it. Next point, pruning is meant for good. Have you noticed I've said that several times? I've repeated myself. That's not because I'm short on words. I'm trying to hammer something home. God means it for good. God is good and he is good all the time. And that doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good. Let's get out of la-la land, all right? It means that if we trust him, he will turn it to good. Jesus says, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he what? Prunes, so that it might bear more fruit. Pruning is good news because it means there's a future and a hope. When God prunes, he's up to something. And often, it takes some patience to find out what he's up to. Notice that fruit doesn't instantaneously appear as soon as the tree is pruned. You don't prune it, boom, apples, awesome, right? There's a season that happens. It has to regrow, buds have to come, the flowers have to come, right? And the fruit has to grow. Same thing when God prunes a church, it takes some time. You have to be patient. There's that wonderful word, right? We have to be patient to find out what he's up to. It takes time. It takes energy. The tree, uh, the energy that would otherwise go into leaves now is going and being redirected into the parts that grow the fruit. So what does that mean for us here at Northview this morning? Well, obviously, all these analogies kind of break down at some point, right? Or you can stretch them too far. I'm very aware of that. But there, uh, there's some solid lessons that we can take moving forward from this morning. Here's what they are, okay? So takeaways for us as a church family. Number one, God has been faithful. Just think through what he's done over the last 20 years. I've left many, many things out. The beginnings in Jackson High School, Archbishop Murphy and all he did while we were there. Moving into this building and all the miracles that went with that. Um, the miraculous paying off of the build-out loan for this building here and the ability to bring James on staff. Many, many, many more stories like that. But the thrust of all of these is that God has been and by implication will be faithful. Right? Just think through your own history. Right? 
90% of this in this room have not ended up where we thought we'd end up. And yet 90% of us in this room would say that God has been extraordinarily faithful in that whole process and that we're exactly where we're supposed to be right now sitting here this morning. I'm looking at you guys. Right? Yes, you and Brian. Yeah, I'm looking. Yeah, you too. Okay? God has been faithful and he will be faithful. Okay? Number two, God will reload. Just as he called people to plant Norfolk, which he did, and some of you are still here. By the grace of God, you have flourished through the entire season of Norfolk. You were here before there was a Pastor Steve, and you will be here after there's a Pastor Steve. Right? You have been core in what God's doing. And so he, just as he called those to plant Norfolk, he's going to call others to reload for the next run. We are not done by a long shot. Okay? This is an incredible season. If the pattern teaches us anything, it's that God is out ahead of us. What a surprise. Shocking news. God's outthought us in this. Pretty amazing. And that he's already anticipated what's needed in terms of people and resources. Right? What looks impossible to us doesn't look so hard to him. And so he's already thought about it. He's already got it loaded. He's going to bring what we need. Number three. Here's the point that is important. It will be, though, sacrificial. There's no such thing as a cakewalk. Right? It was sacrificial to get to this point. It will be sacrificial to get to the next point. I've taken Northview as far as I could take it. And now it's time to hand the baton off and step towards the fall in the future. It will be hard. It will be sacrificial. James needs a gift. A gift of your giving him the same kind of support and love that you've given me. Uh, he cannot do it alone. Okay? He's going to need a team. And, and I just want to say right now, have an openness in your heart for letting God ask you to do something outside of your comfort zone. Right? Let him ask you to do something outside of your comfort zone. He needs a team. I can't think of a finer team to give a new leader than the people I'm looking at right now. He needs your buy-in, and he needs your prayers. Okay? Number four, this could be the most exciting and fruitful season and chapter in the history of this church. Let's trust him. Let's put our faith in that he knows what he's doing with his vineyard, and actually, it's his vineyard, not ours. Sometimes the trees stage a mutiny and think it's they're, they're in charge of it, and that's not true. Uh, let's reaffirm our belief that his dreams are our best dreams. And let's affirm that he knows how to make local, a local church fruitful and bountiful. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. All right, some last closing thoughts. Has nothing to do with the message. All right, here we go. Um, just like a quarterback on a football team, so NFL season, right, it's coming up. We all watch and the Hawks are without Russell. Oh, you know, end of the world. No, they'll be fine. All right. But just like a quarterback, the pastor often gets way too much credit for than he should. It's often a whole team effort. And usually the people behind the scenes are the ones who deserve more of the credit than the guy up front or in the pulpit. And and that's been true as well. Uh, Let me give some special thanks. First of all, uh, Jan and Sharma are here this morning. 
they took me on. When people at, at our church in Green Bay said, you were making a bad, bad mistake by taking him to Seattle with you. Remember that, Jan? <laughs> they were right. But it still worked out. But I, I, everything you've heard or seen, it comes from them. Right? They coached me in family. They coached me in all this stuff in ministry. So if you like what you saw, give them a hand because they, they did it. Okay, got through that one. Second one, outside the Lord himself, the defense of the most grateful thanks, go to my wife, Pam. Uh, notice the front row's empty this way. They're all in the children's doing it, which means Kayla got home late last night and needs help. That's what that means. But she's been in lockstep with me uh, with this call to serve all these years and has served steadfastly and sacrificially, often without anyone ever knowing what it cost. She has been the most gracious teammate. Oh. <laughs> and you know, she's the reason. Uh, she really is um, the reason I was able to stay through the thick and thin of all that goes on in ministry. Right? It's not been a cakewalk. And, and honey, if you were here, you're my joy and delight. And if you're listening in the cry room, I know you can hear me. So there you go. Okay. And all of you owe her a great debt of appreciation for not allowing me to dress myself over the last 17 years. <laughs> Honey, I'm classier because of you. All my love for all you've done. Number two, I could not be prouder of my children. <laughs> yep. They, like their mom, have served selflessly. Jeez. Oh, Somebody give me some water. <laughs> Golly. Um, they've served selflessly in the effort for Jesus' kingdom here in Norfolk, not just as adults, but all the way back when they were little kids. Uh, when we came to Norfolk, it was a family decision, and it has been a family effort. Um, they have always pitched in and helped. <laughs> they have uh, many, many deposits in what we call at our house the Jesus account. And the reason... That's called the Jesus account because nobody else can see it, right? Jesus is the only one. And uh, yeah. They've, oh, thanks, man. Oh, tissue too, you're. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, drinks. That's way better. There we go. Boom. Uh, they, they have really done the dirty work. I mean, my kids would often say, Dad, why do we do this? I said, well, this is, what, this is the part of church nobody else ever sees. And I said, and you get to be a part of it, and this is your contribution to the kingdom, and nobody will ever see it. It goes in the Jesus account. And they've not complained. Well, most of the time, anyway. Uh, they have been in our joy and delight to this dad's heart. Uh, I need to thank our our. Elder ports. Uh, we have had <coughs> what I consider some of the finest, most gracious, godly men funny the words are right there. You should be able to say them. Serve on our elder board over the last 17 years. You know in the NFL the best offensive lines if you're into football are the lines that nobody talks about because they did their job, right? And uh, 
That's how I feel about our board. Sacrificial, wise, dedicated, non-contentious, prayer warriors, and team-oriented. They have protected our church from scandal and attack. They are, for the most part, the unsung heroes of this story. See if I can get through the next one. Oh, gee whiz. Uh, I can't go much farther without mentioning the staff. If ever a group of people work hard to make their leader look good, it's been the staff. Uh, they've been super supportive, super sacrificial. Uh, they have helped with my English. They have helped with my computer. There's some stories there. They've helped with decorations, making our church warm and attractive. Uh, we get comments all the time. They've not only been my co-workers, but my friends. And I always told them that, <clears throat> here's how I saw it, it was our job to model Christ-like community. And that if we got along, the church would know it. They would intuitively know. They've been, <clears throat> I think, our best advertisement. They've helped shape the spirit of our church and my deepest, deepest appreciation to them and their efforts. Norfew yourself, uh, a pastor could not have a better group of people than you've been to me. Kingdom loving, Jesus serving, surrendered and humble, sacrificial, and both your giving and serving, loving me well, my family well, loving Jesus deeper. These things are handy, you know? Gosh. It has been a distinct honor to serve as your pastor, and you have made a difficult job joyful. You've been a deep blessing to me and to the Lord himself. Saving the best for last. How could I not thank the Lord Jesus? Faithful and true. Now I can't read the words. Okay, this is even better. And it's size 18 font. We're in trouble. <laughs> Gosh. Faithful and true, both in love and discipline. Very present help in times of trouble, a joy of our hearts, a humble king, a gracious king, a loving king. It's beyond comprehension that first of all he saved me, then secondly made me a pastor. I joke, if he hadn't found me, I'd still be wondering what I'd do when I grew up. Right? But in him and in the word, I did grow up. Hmm. I want my tremendous debt of love. The joke on the table is I'm known for two things, patience and being steadfast. Um, people get irritated with me. In counseling said, you so frustrate you, you're more patient than Jesus. I go, no, I'm patient because of Jesus. I would have killed you. Eight, right? Fair enough. Yep. And uh, as for the steadfastness part, that's wholly a work of the Holy Spirit in my life. It truly is. I'm humbled and uh, 
Indeed, it's a great honor that people actually see Jesus in me. To him be the glory. All right, that's enough of this junk. Let's pray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Lindy, quit crying. You're making me ball. Stop it. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks. That was hard to walk through, but it was good. And may your blessing and the things we said in this season of pruning, Lord, we pray that it will be for great fruit. We give that to you with great hope and ask that you would somehow help me make it through second service. In your name, amen. All right, thanks everybody online.